Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of On the Barricades, and this is the uh, monthly. Uh, this is the monthly thumbs up, uh, thumbs down, and uh, I'm joined by Dr. Maria Chinat, Boyan Stanislavski, the, uh, the the editors and founders of uh, the Barricade, which is your pan Eastern European uh, news outlet from a critical left uh, perspective. I'm uh, Yuri Smouder uh, of One Plus One. At uh, Yuri Muckraker on uh, YouTube, and I'm joining them to 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 also express my uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, and uh, wow, uh, shit has really hit the fan. World War Three has really kicked off. The new <laughs> Cold War has has gone has gone uh, has gone on red alerts. It's no longer orange and whatnot. And uh, so we're going to be discussing the situation in Ukraine. And without further ado. Uh, Boyan Stanislavski, uh, you had. Uh, I, 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 I want you to express uh, some, uh, some, uh, some remarks before we get into uh, this discussion. Right. Thank you, Yuri. So I want to, before I say anything related to uh, the developments of the last forty-eight, seventy-two hours, I, uh, I want to make a sort of disclaimer. I think that for us. In Eastern Europe, leftist rights is like across the spectrum, really. This is a, a very tragic moment. I think that this is going to have very dramatic ramifications, and we're going to uh we're going to have to deal with wounds that are not gonna heal for the next probably decade, maybe two decades, maybe even more than that. Uh and uh I I am extremely frustrated. I don't like to speak about emotions, but uh, I mean not when it comes to you know public uh, public matters. But I'm extremely frustrated uh, not 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 only at at what has been unfolding for this period, forty eight seventy two hours that I mentioned, but also I am extremely disappointed at the massively dramatically unhinged reactions that. I uh, that I that I see, and uh, my, the reason for my frustration and disappointment is that I make this program with the hope of being able to debate, with the hope of being able to carry my argumentation somewhere to the public sphere where there would be a debate, a discussion. I don't want to enforce my positions on anyone, but I would like to be listened to. And I feel that I have something to say. I feel that, you know, regardless of my journalistic, quote unquote, career uh, in Poland, Bulgaria and in Eastern Europe, I want to be heard as, an, as a citizen of, of Eastern Europe of this region, which is now hit by this traumatic, deeply trauma or traumatizing event of war in Ukraine. And I don't feel I will be heard. And this is my great frustration because I will not be heard, not because, you know, my show is not so popular, but because I feel I will be talking to people who agree with me anyway on most, most issues. And, uh, you know, now I feel that there should be, there should be some way 
for people with rational approach, rational approach to bring to the same table people from all across the spectrum, the political spectrum, who also have the feeling that they want to detach themselves from the insane, unhinged, you know, uh, wave of chauvinistic and straight down xenophobic and, and, and nationalistic and militaristic narratives. We, we already have the war in place. Do you really want to make it even worse? Because I don't. And everyone who does not want to see the current situation, a terrible and tragic one, escalating further, we should be and stand together against war. And, and this, is, this is something that I feel is almost impossible at the moment. So this is just what I wanted to say before I make any remarks on the on the current situation, and yeah. and I apologize if I disappoint people, you know, with this statement. I normally not really emotional, and I advise people not to be about emotional about public things. We really should keep our heads cool now more than ever. I I just wanna weigh in and maybe. Um have my remarks regarding the whole situation and make a disclaimer that I'm starting to feel more and more anxious uh, about even discussing this whole thing related to Ukraine because every tiny word that you say, every little phrase can be twisted in this highly polarized and hysterical media arena to hurt you. This is no longer my fear and my biggest fear is not personal, although I might face consequences, being accused that I'm a Russian troll, that I'm a pro-Ukrainian Nazi or whatever. But I'm very much afraid that right now we are not discussing uh, ways to find solutions, but we are in a war. And in this type of situation, anything you say, like the Americans say when they arrest you, can be used against you. And unfortunately, can and will be used against you. Can and will be used. And when you don't have the honest intention of listening to other people that might have other opinions to find a common ground and possibly a solution. And all you want is to express frustration and to, to, to express anger and to spread venom. Well, it is very difficult to, to, uh, to discuss under these circumstances. And let us not forget that the social media and the fact that basically we are forced to convey our messages using these platforms are not helping because, as I told you many times, they incentivize hatred and they place posts that the people react to with anger, with that anger emoticon five times higher than others uh, <clears throat> another post where people do not really act as violently as uh, in the previous cases. So um, 
we will nevertheless be here. I am taking my, my chances. I mean, I don't know how much you have to lose, but I might face some ethical committee and be held responsible for not being in line with our strategic partners. I'm not, uh, I mean, I can see those days coming. But nevertheless, I chose to be here with you and to try to make a little bit of uh, sense as much as we can toward to the best of our abilities uh, to this uh, situation. On that note, uh, <laughs> uh, on, on that note, uh, let's start with, uh, uh, let, 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 you know, yeah, let's, let's start with you, uh, Bon and rotate back and forth between you and uh and you know, and the good doctor, what's your uh, thumbs up? And if there is a thumbs, uh, what's your thumbs up? If there is any, on yeah. on, on what's happening with this uh, <laughs> Ukraine crisis, and what's your thumbs? Uh, yeah, and what's your thumbs down? Well, of course, the major thumbs down is the fact that the war has started, and uh, this is you know to say that it's thumbs down is like to say nothing about it. This is uh, something that I had hoped would not happen. I really had, you know, and, and all those people that were telling me and you and everyone that, yeah, it's imminent, it's going to happen, they they were and they are not credible in my eyes whatsoever. Exactly. So, uh, you know, regardless of whether by coincidence, you know, their speculations uh, turned out to be correct, I don't think it was because of their of them being so profound or, or, or of them understanding really the situation. It's just, it's just, I said, well, just is again, not the word to use here, but it's, it is a tragic coincidence. Anyway. Well, they kept, uh, well, they kept, well, 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 they've been wanting to provoke Putin into, uh, into a war for a long time. And Putin has been very uh, patient, regardless of what the, uh, of, of what the fake news, corporate uh, news, state media has said, and I think for, I think he probably got pressure from from his own military industrial complex, from his own, uh, you, you know, you know, you know, from his own uh, deep state that says, "Hey, we've been humiliated uh, long enough, and it's time to, uh, and, and it's and it's time to show the West that uh, that we do mean a business." You've been uh, offering olive branches after olive branches, and they keep doing, you know, that to you. So. No, I, 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 of course, agree with this. Uh, well, with this general, generally, with this perception. Now, I'm not uh, prepared to really speculate whether this is deep state or whether this is the decision of the legitimate authorities of the uh, of the Russian Federation. I would, if I, if I had to choose, I would rather go for the second. But again, I don't have any inner information. For me, this is just what it looks like on the surface, and this is, you know, the only information that we have, which is another problem, of course, because the information that we're the information that we're getting on on what is going on in Ukraine is extremely contradictory to the extent that, you know, one one side writes something, the other writes the other side writes something completely, you know, contradictory. So uh, it's very difficult to really you know, to really know the truth. I guess this is again very banal to say that. That the first victim of war is the truth, uh, and only afterwards, you know, all the rest of it. You know, <laughs> well, John Pilcher once, well, John, John Pilcher once said that one of the oldest cliches of wars is that truth is the first casualty. No, it's yeah. not. 
journalism is the first casualty. <laughs> yeah, well, journal. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, journalism. Uh, journalism has been the casualty of the geopolitical tensions uh, over the developing over the last uh, decade or so. Has already been, you know, uh, brought to a level of of. Uh, well, I, I don't want to go into that. Okay, and I don't want to get like emotional again about something else here, uh, which uh, you know. Is, is the profession that I have been entertaining for the last 20 years nearly. Anyway, uh, I, I, I want to say this. Uh, I think that it's difficult to say, for anyone, difficult to say what is the end game here? Why has this war started? Uh, I think that we can, we have some, we, there are some facts and some processes that we can base ourselves on. But we cannot answer the question like, you know, what is in Putin's mind and stuff like that, because that would be actually falling for the narrative that is all around us, which is so irritating and annoying that, you know, he is this evil man with demoralized mind that, you know, he only wants, you know, the blood of Ukrainians and destruction and death and atrocities. Ever. By the way, this sounds a bit like Ameri an American president, but that's that's another story. I just want to weigh in, Boyan, if you allow me here. This is the narrative, unfortunately, that is being pushed by the mainstream narrative, that you have a yeah. beautiful blonde lady that is Ukraine that wanted to get married with a bright, civilized Western Oh, guy, and now she's being kidnapped by the monster on the east. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole and the sole reason why this war started is uh, because Putin is an evil monster. Yeah, this is yeah. the simple solution that is being pushed to a very complex, um, to a very complex situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's right. And of course, uh, like I don't want to, I don't want to go into the psychology of this, like whether Putin is good or bad. Like it doesn't really matter. I mean, like you know, this is this is a thing that should really be out of the equation here. I mean, we should be talking about like in the mainstream. I'm saying we should be talking about the solutions, yeah. how to end the war as quickly as possible, what could be done, you know, to to uh, uh, to get to a point where a ceasefire is possible, you know, that kind of stuff. That, that's what should be discussed in the mainstream, in my opinion. And of course, it's not which which speaks to what what Yuri said and what you hinted at, like the complete, you know, uh, destruction or, or, or complete demise of journalism internationally. But like, you know, regarding what, what Yuri indicated, Yuri said that, well, perhaps some circles in the Russian state, or maybe as I, I, I tend to believe the Russian, the legitimate Russian authorities, patience, you know, was exhausted to its fullest extent. And uh, now, I, it's difficult to speculate whether this decision was taken a long time ago or maybe recently. Now, I can only give you my guess, which I suppose is an educated guess. So I spent, you know, the last, uh, I don't know, well, 24 hours, let's say, you know, analyzing everything that, 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 that is available, you know, in the Russian media, in the, in the Western media. And my feeling is that the straw that broke the camel's back was the meeting uh, was the meeting of the Normandy uh, the Normandy format meeting on the 11th of February because uh, what happened prior to that meeting was president president the president of France Macron traveled to Moscow you know they set at this long table which then became a meme and he said 
this reasonable thing that everybody was expecting that, you know, some Western leader will finally utter. He said, we understand the Russian concerns, the Russian security concerns, and we want to sit down and figure it out because they are legitimate concerns. So the Russians said, okay, so let's get together. There is this Normandy format talks. And just for the for our uh, viewers, Normandy is France. Normandy format is, is France, Russia, Germany, uh, and Ukraine, uh, you know, talking about the crisis uh, that developed after 2014 without the United States. And, and, uh, and that's something that the Russians have really put a lot of hope in because they thought that this, it's precisely the United States that prevents, that sabotages this Minsk process. And I think that this meeting on the 11th of, the, uh, of February proved this speculation to be correct because the, the Russians hoped that this is the last chance to bring Ukraine to the table and to force Ukraine to adhere to a contract brokered by the West to which the Ukraine agreed in 2015, which was sanctioned by the uh, Security Council of the United Nations, that is by the US as well. And they thought it, you know, that this is the last chance, this is the last moment. And after nine hours of talk, which turned out to be empty talk, the Russians went away, went home, extremely offended and baffled. And I feel that, you know, they, they, they were promised something like a last chance, last resort, that let's, let's sit and let's figure it out. And, you know, and then they sit there for nine hours and the Ukrainians, obviously, uh, that's again a speculation here, but obviously, you know, kind of empowered, quote unquote, by, uh, the, by Washington, were just, you know, shrugging their shoulders and, and kind of, you know, dismissing everything. What Minsk agreements? What are you talking about? You know, and they were repeating the American talking points about the army, uh, you know, the, the Russian army at the border and, and, and the invasion and all the rest of it, you know. And Germany and France, the representatives of Germany and France, didn't do anything really during those nine hours to force the Ukrainian delegation to commit to anything. Okay, so that was one thing. And then what happened, then what happened was this disastrous visit of Chancellor Scholz to Russia, which, again, I hope, I really had hopes in Chancellor Scholz because I thought, like, he's a seasoned politician. He was the vice chancellor, you know. And, and then he, he goes, the, and also, you know, when I saw his, his reactions during, during the, uh, the, the increase of tensions, you know, uh, at the end of the year, in the beginning of, uh, at the end of last year, at the beginning of that one, you know, I thought like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a chance here to, to somehow, you know, and then he goes to, 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 to Moscow to speak to, to, you know, to Putin, and he just insults him. And insults the Russians during, during a, you know, a press conference where they speak together to the public, to the journalists with Putin. He goes, uh, you know, he makes those jokes about, uh, uh, about how Putin has been in power for, so, for such a long time. Then he, he brings up Navalny, which just makes no sense whatsoever in this context. Okay, and, and, and he knows, clearly everyone knows that it's a particularly annoying thing for the Russians. Then he goes on 
Novani, who say, by the way, Novani, who by the way is a Western-backed rival oligarch and is a far right. Everything they say about Putin, Novani is. He's, he's not, not an, an oligarch. oligarch. Yeah, he's, 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 he's just a random. He's just a random idiot old. asset. Yeah, an asset for, for the West. That yeah, uh, of course. And he does have like profoundly far right views. But anyway, so he, he then he goes on to say that the attack of NATO on Yugoslavia in 1999 was completely and totally justified because there was genocide there, knowing that the Russians are using this particular, uh, you know, arrangement that occurred after those bombings for nearly three months of, of Serbia, okay, is using to actually, you know, justify their actions in Luhansk and Donetsk, okay? So he makes... an utterly idiotic point okay and 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 claims that you know the 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 americans and nato and the germans then back then were correct but the russians are not correct and and has has used the word genocide i don't know how many times you know during this short statement that he was making then it's and you know in the eyes of russians using the word genocide without you know the, the kind of historical proportions that it that, that it normally has like saying that you know saying that genocide happens in Ukraine or that genocide happened in Albania or Kosovo or, or Serbia you, you know by by anyone but particularly by a German politician by a high-ranking German politician you know making those references is just so unpolitical and immoral deeply that, that I really have no words for it. But the Russians, for the Russians, it, it, it was super, super offensive. Okay. And then at the end of the whole show, he says that, well, Ukraine, NATO, I mean, what, look, no one's really considering, you know, NATO becoming a part, part uh, sorry, Ukraine becoming part of NATO anyway. So what is there to really talk about? And, you know, the Russians have actually asked for putting this in writing, but no one was prepared to put, uh, put that in writing. And I want to say that, you know, I feel that the decision was taken somewhere around that time that, okay, we've had enough of this. Like, we've given you enough time. We've given you enough concessions. We've tried to pressure you to, you know, to, to solve this by diplomatic means. And I feel that it could be Putin, it could be his whole administration, it could be Shoigu, it could be someone else. Someone finally snapped and said that, oh, okay, that's it. Like, you know, we've had enough of this, you know, you using Ukraine, which they consider to be a brotherly nation, you know, to impose this right-wing junta on them and to use the whole, you know, country and its nation and, and, and its, all, its resources to turn them into... Uh, uh, you know, a cannon fodder or a hot rod that you're going to be sticking up our rear end all the time. We've had enough. That's it. Thank you. From now on, this is over. And this is over, I want to tell you. This is over because whatever we, th we, we think, and I condemn that war, you know, in the strongest possible terms. And I feel that it, it, it shouldn't have gone that way. And I, I, I'm totally prepared to, of course, accept the guilt, the direct guilt of whatever Putin or his administration or Russia and stuff like that. But here's one important element which people should understand. Let's talk rationally about that. Guilt is not the same as responsibility. While Putin is guilty of ordering his troops to go and invade Ukraine, 
The responsibility for this lies entirely on the absolutely, utterly idiotic foreign policy of the West. Why has the West promised in 2008 membership in NATO to Georgia and Ukraine? Why? And when it saw... They promised it in Romania, actually. It was the only important international event that we organized and we are so proud. Yeah, great. So if you allow me, we are ready. Yeah, I I allow you. But but one, one last sentence. This is... They saw it already some, some years ago that the only thing that this policy has provoked is destabilization in Ukraine and Eastern Europe. And they, instead of rectifying it, they doubled down on it and they have done nothing to prevent this war. They have been encouraging it all along. And I want to ask, you know, all those people, are you happy now? Are you happy with what happened? Well, I, I would not uh, uh, have such a passionate remark or, or not, are you happy? Because I am asked right now, me, Maria Cernat, are you happy? Because you are you were not um, anti-Putin enough. Are you happy right now what, with what they are doing? So I would not go along this path. Well, I'm not happy. I, I can answer that question. Say, well, I would say, of course, I'm not happy. And we have to to consider here a few uh, things. President Zelensky, for one thing, I consider, and here is where I differ from Boyan, I think that the Westerners and especially Scholz and the others have proven what they they could uh, do in terms of international relations. And I don't think it was such a big surprise for the Russians, but... This man, this Zelensky, was completely out of touch. And when we discussed with Andrei Buzarov, a Ukrainian who's actually from uh, uh, Donetsk, he said the following thing. And I actually believed he, he was exactly expressing my ideas regarding a possible way out. But that point, Zelensky was in Munchen uh, discussing with the European leaders in this Normandy format. And he said that he thinks, and that would have been the wise choice, in my opinion, that Zelensky would abandon for the moment the, all this talk about NATO and joining NATO and would in secret sign a deal with the Russians because he could not go and said to his military and to his right-wing politicians and all the right-wingers that support him that we are going to sign a deal with Russia openly. But he would have found a way, a diplomatic channel to do it secretly and to keep Ukraine neutral. That was my hope. And that was at that, that point, I liked too. very much the discussion with, with Andre because he basically um, uh, spoke and presented these scenarios that I also thought of, you know, because, and they seem so, so rational at that point. Because Zelensky was in, a, in an impossible situation. He was supported as our other guest, anthropologist uh, Volodya um, uh, Artyuk explained. He was basically the prisoner of a right-wing clique of oligarchs and politicians and all sorts of extremists coming from all corners of the now Ukrainian society, but being Russia. very cohesive and very efficient and actually 
actually uh, uh, they 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 kept the whole country, as Volodya explained to me, somehow a, a prisoner of this extremism. So he couldn't go and said, "Look, we are going to reach an agreement with Russia because otherwise we are done." Uh, they would have accused him of not being manly enough, not being courageous enough, being a coward. Patriotic or whatever, who doesn't uh, deserve their support. Okay. At the same time, the situation was very tense, and the only way out for him would have been to reach an agreement, but secretly with Russia. Whether the Russians uh, were prepared to accept that, I don't know, but it would have been at that point the only way out. What does he do? And I think this is the point that broke the camel back. And I really hoped that he would play this wisely. Because back in the day when the United States um, uh, announced triumphantly on all media channels that, the Russia, that Russia is going to invade Ukraine, he played it very well. Let's give that to him. He had all the media in Ukraine, like 50 uh, TV uh, channels, Airing the same unity, love message, we are all together. He actually um, recorded himself saying that we are all together, we have to fight for peace, whatever. So he played it well, and I, I really hoped that he would have a pinch of imagination of trying to move a little bit more wisely in these very dangerous waters filled with sharks. Now he didn't, and I think when he came from Munich talking about not only joining NATO, but accelerating the process of Ukraine joining NATO, I thought... He signed well, his death sentence, this yeah. Guy, this guy just shot himself in the, in the foot. Or somewhere higher sense. than that. Oh, yeah. And so, or somewhere higher, and unfortunately, unfortunately, he is dragging his country into an impossible situation. Now, no, on the no, part no. of the, the Russians, the because end. The we end. don't have That's to present end. right now. Yes, but we don't have to present like Russia didn't have any kind of choice here. There is always a choice. But yes. I want to say some bad things about them too, just to be... Yeah, but know, I, I, I want to say that war is never a choice. Really war to, is never a choice. But to be balanced here, War is never a choice, first thing. And second thing, why is it that in the 21st century, after we saw what kind of devastation a war produces, we are seeing that in Europe? And my answer is that Russia, unfortunately, and here I agree completely with Volodya Artyuk, Russia, unfortunately, was never able to carry on a successful propaganda war. Despite everything our media outlets in Romania claim that, oh, the Russian propaganda is so powerful. Um, yes, it's so powerful. And it is driving people by their noses like they are puppets. It's not really like that. While they support extremist elements in the Romanian society and everywhere else, and unfortunately right-wing elements that could destabilize the country here and elsewhere, uh, they are not successful in pr promoting their brand, okay? And while the Americans have a century of branding 
and branding themselves, branding the country, branding products, branding companies. So a lot, a huge experience in terms of selling basically everything, the Russians could not do it. And I think the biggest defeat here is in terms of propaganda for them because these people were close. These people, um, and in Ukraine, maybe you don't know, but it is my understanding that they are married to each other. They have connections to each other. It's not a, a, a population like we have, for instance, in Romania. We have a Hungarian minority, but they are separated. They do not marry Romanians. Romanians do not marry them. The language is very different. It's not like that in Ukraine. They are very much uh, connected. They have uh, been one two. nation for ages. They have been one nation for ages and everybody has relatives in Russia or in Ukraine. So they are so uh, connected and the languages are not so different as Romanian from Hungarian. Hungarian is like Chinese for us Romanians. And two families. And what I want to say is that unfortunately, if Russia was not able, you know, to, to sell itself and its brand, to these people that were so close to them, how are they going to, to, to be able to convince anyone? Uh, and unfortunately, we have to understand that Russia has only this very brutal way of imposing uh, its uh, uh, external policy agenda. This is yeah, my, yeah, I, I think you're. Yeah, I think you're totally correct on that. In a sense that you know the Russians, they don't have this color revolutions kind of you know modus operandi. They don't. They don't have the apparatus. They don't have the no. experience. They don't do that. They like when they, you know, when they press to the to the wall, which is what it, what is happening now. I mean, they are pressed to the extent that they cannot make any further concessions. Instead, you know, they want to capitulate and get broken up into five different states or something like that. So they they will just react like this. And, 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 you know, any sane politician in the West should have known this, okay? So now it's a question whether the European or the Euro-Atlantic, okay, if you like, leaders were either stupid or they did it in purpose. Both options are terrible. Both they options, did it okay. on purpose. If they did it on they in purpose. They don't care because they knew this would happen. I think they knew this would happen. And in a way, I think they surrendered to the um, military and financial elites because where is good business? Where is good business? And they are thinking right now that the Romanians are so scared that they would take loans to buy weapons from the Americans. So in this mass hysteria and people seeing those images on TV, they would be prepared to sell their cars to give it to the defense ministry to buy weapons from the Americans. So good for good for business, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, Putin right now serves as a PR for the military industrial complex in the West. He's the best PR man <laughs> here, you know, because you have this terrible boogeyman. So, okay, let's buy more and more weapons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, before we say goodbye, I want to just indicate that we've got a Patreon page, okay? Patreonpage.com slash The Barricade. I just encourage everyone watching us who, uh, who feel... Uh, the necessity to support Eastern European independent journalism, please go there and to the extent that you feel you can support this, make a monthly subscription. This is super important for us and for the publishing house that puts out uh, this outlet and this show. Thank you very much and see you in the next segment where we are going to continue to discuss uh, this 
horrific hair-raising situation that uh, we found ourselves in in Eastern Europe and some other matters as well. 